You're tuned in to David Essel Alive, America's Positive Radio Talk Show. Welcome aboard, gang, for another three rockin' hours. We have an incredible show lined up for you, as we always do. We are broadcasting live out of Studio E in Los Angeles, California. On XM Satellite Radio, channel 168, streaming worldwide at talkdavid.com. Proud to be a part of the premier radio network. You can bet that. And we welcome aboard our 12 million XM subscribers, the million more from around the world that tune in via the web. I think it's the coolest thing in the world that you can either listen to the show right now on your XM Satellite Radio uh, if it's in your house, you know, in your car, wherever it might be. Or you can listen to us online if you're just hanging out uh, at your house, in the office, whatever it might be. It is uh, Technology just is mind-blowing sometimes. So uh, 1-800-548-TALK. I am David Essel, obviously. 1-800-548-TALK. Let me tell you about the guest for tonight's show. Author David Fitzpatrick, the name of his book, Sharp, a memoir. This is going to look be a very candid look at the use of self-mutilation to deal with emotional disorders. You've heard the term cutting. As a matter of fact, I'm going to go back probably 15 years ago on this show. We received a call from a young woman. She was living in, I think it was in Montana, and she was going through some very difficult times in her life, uh, and she was cutting as a way to deal with the emotional pain. She then moved on to Alaska. She stayed in touch with us. She did heal, and then she moved to, like, Puerto Rico, and she's been still staying in touch with me over the years. Looking forward to talking to David. James Smitty Smith, he is national boxing guru. He hosts his own television show, seen around the United States of America in this corner. And we're going to talk to Smitty about the traits that are common with the great boxers and how this relates to our own success in life. Larissa Didio, the author, is going to be coming on with us as well, talking about her book, Sneaky Fitness, How to Slip Fitness into Your Kids Every Day, Childhood Obesity at an All-Time High. We're going to find out from Larissa what the real causes of this are. And I'm going to tell you something right now, gang. It ain't genetics. Man, if, if there is something I want to just continue to, to share on this show is the truth and the falsehood regarding being overweight, obese, and genetics. It ain't it. Trust me. It's not it. But we're going to find out from Larissa what it is and what to do about it. And then uh, Dr. Terry Gordon, who wrote the book No Storm Lasts Forever about transforming suffering into insight. Powerful story that Dr. Terry is going to share with us. Uh, later on, a lot of uh, your calls will be coming in regarding this topic. Lance Armstrong, is he still an American hero? Should he be stripped of all those medals? Will his foundation suffer greatly? I want to get your opinion on this. And, of course, I might just happen to have an opinion myself. And then in one of my coaching sessions this week, the, a question arose, why do people cheat on their partners? Why do people cheat on their spouses? I'm going to give you some, some insight into this right now, as a matter of fact. The number one reason that people cheat on their spouses, on their, their partners, is because of resentments. Without a doubt, in the 20-plus years of working with couples who have had affairs on each other or one of them had the affair in the relationship, we can always track it back to resentments, to anger, to frustration that is not being dealt with. 
Uh, Passive-aggressive behavior is a very normal response to the resentments we hold. So if someone is really filled with resentments against their partner for not doing whatever, a billion different things, it could be one thing that they don't do over and over and over again, but they will then utilize an affair as a way to get back at their partner. It's passive-aggressive behavior. Like, I'm not going to tell you anymore that I'm pissed off at you. I'm just going to go sleep with someone. And while some people will say that it's genetics, especially for men, that, you know, when when man first walked this earth, it was all about procreation. And so men need to have sex with more than one partner. And monogamy is a myth. And some people will say that. Right. But I'm going to tell you, you know what? Then that person needs to find someone that agrees with that philosophy. Can I get an amen? You know what? Because if we're saying that it's I mean, I'm not saying that's wrong. Find a partner. If, if you want to have sex with tons of different women, if you're if you're a guy or if you're a woman and you want to have sex with tons of different men because you think that genetically you're predisposed to having a ton of sex with a lot of people, find someone that agrees with you. But don't lie and cheat and break people's hearts and break trust just because you think genetically you're entitled to. 1-800-548-TALK. 1-800-548-TALK. I'm David Essel. So great to have you with us. Stay right there. We're back in a second. Celebrating 21 years in talk radio, you're tuned in to David Essel Live every Saturday, 6 to 9 Eastern, 3 to 6 Pacific. Welcome aboard, toll-free 1-800-548-TALK. Email us during the show at talkdavid.com. Like us on Facebook, David Essel Alive on Facebook, and David Essel on Twitter. Can you imagine that if the pain in your life got so great from a variety of different sources, depression, anxiety, bullying, etc., that you felt that the only way that you could get out of it was to cut yourself? And when you first felt that knee, that razor, the, the knife, go through your skin that you felt actual relief from the pain. Isn't that incredible to think about? For many of us, we, we would immediately say, that's crazy, David. That doesn't make sense. The world of addiction, gang, doesn't make fa- sense. And my, my guest right now, David Fitzpatrick, is the author of his new book, Sharp, a memoir that talks just about this. David, welcome to the show. Oh, thanks so much, David. Yeah. Wow, what a trip. What was the when was the first experience that you remember of cutting yourself to relieve the pain emotionally of, of, of a mental illness? When was the first time you remember doing that, David? It was early early summer of eighty nine and I was uh, living alone in Boston and um previous to that had uh, had uh, just gotten out of college a year before with lots of drug use and some bullying, and I, it just, uh, I, I don't know where I heard about it or read about it, but I, it just, I went to the store, bought some groceries, and then I also bought some razors, and I just started uh, injuring myself. 
And, and you know, I, I don't know if, if you happened to hear earlier in the show, I was talking about uh, about 15 years ago, a young woman called our show who was using this very thing, this, this, this addiction to cutting in order for the endorphin rush to come to cover her emotional pain. David, share with the listeners how this relieves the emotional pain, how the physical pain of cutting someone oneself relieves the emotional pain. Try to, pain, try to explain it for our listeners. Okay, I think you get so, uh, the person, me, got so tied up inside, so frozen and numb that my body didn't really feel it. And that when I, uh, um, a way of, a weird way of looking at it is I felt dead outside, so I had to cut myself to see the life or the blood. Um, mm. It's an odd thing, but the more self-injurers, other women that I spoke to in, in the different hospitalizations that I was at through the 90s, um, that was a familiar refrain, that they felt so tied up or shamed inside that they they cut to get the release of uh, endorphins and the rush of um, of a high, like of a, of a high. Yeah. Now, now the the uh, I shouldn't say obvious. I, I happen to work in the in the world of addiction recovery, and so I know that many cutters will use the wrist, the forearm, uh, the inside of the forearm. Were there any areas of the body that you chose that you got a better rush from than others? Um, not really. No, I I, I think I, those first days in Boston, I just out of the blue, started doing uh, forearms and, and shoulders and chest, and it was the same, really. I mean, I um, uh, you just get so lost in the in the action and the sense of release that comes, at least temporarily, that you right. uh, you, you continue it, continue to have it. And and did anyone ever call you out on it? Did anyone ever see you with a shirt off or your 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 sleeves rolled up and said, "What the hell is that?" Well, actually. Um, I had a friend. I played some basketball once, and uh, and we were playing some pickup basketball. And he said, "What the hell happened?" He said that. He said, "What happened to you?" And I said, "Well, I fell into a pricker bush." And he kind of gave me a weird look and and let it pass. But then the next day, when I was wearing long sleeve shirts to see my therapist, he said, "David, it's eighty six degrees outside. What the hell do you have a long sleeve turtleneck on for?" You know, and. Right. Uh, so he kind of saw through it and and had had me get help. And and that help that started, like, what was it like in the beginning? Because you spent time in mental institutions, correct? Oh yeah, I mean, I I was um, I was really stuck in that sense. I I couldn't break the habit of hurting myself and then going to institutions for long periods of time and then. Uh, getting out and not doing well when I was outside, so I'd hurt myself again and I'd go back in. It was, it was a, more than a decade and a half of that crap, really, wow. before I started to um, see light and color outside myself and get in touch with uh, a desire that I wanted to live and I wanted to do things other than end up in psychiatric emergency rooms. Now, this, you know, in something in your book that you talk about is that the, the, that you believe, and there, there's depression that runs in your family and all that other kind of stuff, but, but you believe that bullying that began with your brother could have really been the start of all of this, David? You know, I don't know. The, the different doctors that I talk to always, when I'd be admitted and they'd ask me my history, and I'd list all the different things that you mentioned, 
they would call it a perfect storm. So that there wasn't one thing more more um, influential than the other. I think it was just a combination of a family spiked with, you know, the genealogy of mental illness plus the excessive drugs I did in college, which uh, led me into sort of a vague, hazing experience with roommates plus my brother's treatment of me. I think it all all had a hand in, in bringing me down. Mm-hmm. And 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 this this bringing you down and the cutting and everything else that that was going on, it was really trying to deal with this submerged resentment, rage, anger, and more. Probably insecurity on top of all of it. Correct? Yeah, I would say that. I say that all those things. Uh, yeah, and a lot a lot of shame. I think a lot of especially male um, people who suffer from depression. Um, feel shame about that, feel like they should be able to kick it, you know, and they should be able to walk away and embrace life and not worry about um, the struggles. But I was, um, I couldn't do that. And so I felt great shame, so I hurt myself. Right. David, now, you know, I have a, a little different uh, opinion on the whole world of um, anxiety disorders, depression, etc. I, I went through a deep clinical depression, suicidal plans, the whole nine yards a long time ago. And then I, and I got heavily involved in working, help people to heal. And I want to share this, this, my personal philosophy with you. And I know you've gone through a lot. You've studied a lot. You've experienced a lot as well. But, you know, my bottom line belief is I don't really believe in a genetic link to depression, anxiety disorders, as much as I believe in a strong, long-standing history of dysfunction in dealing with emotional pain that's handed down from generation to generation. Yeah, I, I can see that. I can see that um, that that had an influence as well. But it, uh, it does seem like, I mean, I, I understand we have a difference of opinion on that, but basically mm-hmm. it's... it's um, what you're saying is not that far off from what I'm saying. I think we both uh, both point to the the dysfunction in families or in our own coping mechanism, as you said. Right. Right. Exactly. Hey, what what is your what is your hope now? Now, I I, I want to bring this up to date a little bit, and and for for people, we're we're talking with David Fitzpatrick. The book is phenomenal. The name is Sharp, a memoir. If you know of anyone that's going through any type of an addictive, a, a mental illness disorder, uh, you maybe yourself are. It's it's a, a perfect read to try to get an understanding of what's going on in the head of someone who's struggling with depression, anxiety, and what was later diagnosed as a form of bipolar disorder. But since that time. You went on eHarmony, you met a woman, you got married, life turned out to be okay. Oh, life life has been great, really. I mean, once I <laughs> once I left that group home in that I'd been in for a decade, I I went to my own apartment, lived on my own, started enjoying life and um started dating. Then I met went to eHarmony and met this great girl who who uh who really helped change my life and give me hope and and then along the way, I also was at uh, Fairfield University, the MFA program, creative writing program, and that kind of gave me confidence in, in my writing skills and how to shape the, the idea of a book if I ever thought of putting a book together. So really, uh, it's, been, it's been a high uh, since, I, uh, since I got out of that group, since I got out of the group home in 2007. Do you think the group home was something that was holding you back in your recovery? Well, that's that's another 
a tough one because, uh, you know, for a while there, I didn't have anywhere else I could go. My parents didn't have anywhere else uh, to send me because I would be hurting myself and other other halfway houses wouldn't touch me. And, and these guys kept taking me back after, you know, 10th, 11th, 12th chances. On the other hand, I think um, if you stay... If you stay in that that track for too long, at least my experience is you get stuck and you don't mm-hmm. you don't take the risks of of taking on real life and and the challenge of of trying to um, enjoy yourself. Sometimes it's it's hard not to get stuck in the you know what I call the sticky psychiatric realm. You know, kind of the right. the pain can be um, in a weird way can be addictive. I think. Yes, yes. Well, it's the same thing while I'm a huge fan of 12-step programs for any type of addiction, alcohol, drugs, codependency, smoking, gambling, etc. I also know that people that stay in those programs, many, not all, but many people become addicted to the negativity, the griping, the whining, and reliving their stories, David, to such a point that they hardly ever get out of their past. Yeah, you know, I, I've heard that too. I, I I didn't do any twelve step programs, but I have heard that. But I also know friends who who swear by it, you know, and uh, right. who've been sober for twenty years or something. Yeah, yeah, and I think I think someone, you know, like what I always say to someone is that if you're in a program and you're genuinely happy, keep doing it. Right. You know, like if you're living like what what you're talking about right now, you know, you've moved on, you're happy, you know, you you're you you got married, you have a life, you're living, you're writing a, an awesome book, you're doing all these great things. It's too many people that I see though can get stuck in some type of institutionalized program. And 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 I'll agree with you. I know many people that are sober for 20, 30, 40 years that swear by those meetings as being lifesavers and right. they're really happy today. You know, and they're and they're and that's what I'm talking about. Is that if you find yourself being negative, gossiping, living in the past, then it's probably time to find a new path to healing. Hey, we've got about forty seconds left, David. Message that you hope people pick up across the country listening to you today. I would say that there's hope. You know, I was in the book. I say uh, I was lower than that crap. I mean, that's what I felt. I was so <laughs> low. I I thought I was you know less than human. And I found hope and a doctor who led me out and a family who who backed me up and a girl who ended up marrying me. Um, but that that point uh, is important, but it's also important that, you know, mental illness does not go away. I mean, I, I still struggle sometimes, but my, my my message mostly would be that there's there's a lot of hope for those who are struggling with um, with self-injury or depression or maybe any kind of addiction i mean you you can beat it or you can, you can at least um you you can do well with it and learn to cope absolutely in a healthy way david fitzpatrick my guest the name of the book sharp a memoir david thank you so much for sharing your time with us today thanks david Okay, bye-bye now. 1-800-548-TALK. There is hope. Be bold. Be strong. Just what David just said. Be bold. Be strong. Be positive. You will find a way out of wherever you are right now. Surround yourself with powerful people as well. 1-800-548-TALK. I'm David Essel. Stay right there.
living every day with gratitude, taking nothing for granted whatsoever. You are tuned in uh, to David Essel Live, America's positive radio talk show. 21 years on the air, and we're just really happy that you're choosing to share a little bit of your time with us on this glorious Saturday. XM Channel 168 and streaming worldwide uh, at talkdavid.com. 1-800-548-TALK. In just about two minutes, we're going to be going to James Smitty-Smith. He's a uh, boxing guru and host of the nationally syndicated television show In This Corner. We'll be going to one of our, our listeners on the air. We're going to bring them on the air. Richard from Texas, we're going to be bringing him on in a minute. And don't forget, you can call us about any topic that we have anytime that you'd like, one 800 548-TALK. You can email us during the show at talkdavid.com. Like us on Facebook at David Essel Alive or on Twitter at David Essel. Let's go to Richard in Texas. You're on with David Essel. Hey, David. Thanks for having hey, me Hey, Richard, on. what's on your mind? Well, I just turned on your program. I was headed in from the farm. And, uh, you know, I smoked marijuana since 1982. I've drank beer since 1982. I'm 55 years old. And the last uh, week of May, I just decided to stop it. I have a new granddaughter, um, and I just said, you know what, I want to see how long I can live. Maybe this stuff could be bad for me. I enjoy doing it, but I'm going to quit. You know what, I just stopped. But I've, I've been fortunate. I've been blessed. I've always been very, uh, had, had a whole lot of self-discipline in my life. I'm a successful businessman. Um, I, I, I just think people need to understand that uh, you you... Anything, like you said, anything worth having is worth making sacrifices for. And, to right. do, and, and put it, putting forth the effort is the hardest thing to do. A lot of people won't uh, balance their checkbooks because it takes effort to do that. But people just have to get in the right mindset. Um, I stopped. I, I haven't touched, uh, 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 smoked, or drank since. It doesn't mean I won't again someday. Maybe I will. But for right. the meantime, I've stopped. And, and uh, Richard, kind of Richard, this is... I was just going to say, this is pretty damn impressive, dude. That's 30 years of drinking and smoking pot, and as of May, you're clean. That's pretty damn impressive. You know, uh, I told my dentist about it, and he said, you know, that's really great. He said, after 11 days, uh, you shouldn't have anything. And there's really nothing to it. It's just about setting your mind to doing things. We've become weak in society. Um, I, I agree with that. I don't know why, and, yeah. and, and that's what it's all about, and... and uh, you know, hey, maybe every once in a while you might have to say your prayers and stuff to get over it, but, man, we can all do it by ourselves. we just got to set our minds to it. And like I said, I may do it again someday, but in the meantime, I'm, I'm not. I just don't I just don't want to, and I'm not going. I'm going to see. And like I said, I've been a successful businessman through those years and everything, too, but uh, I've just really been blessed. And I just wanted the people out there to know, hey, you know what? You can really do it yourself. And, I, and I'm not bullcorning you. Uh, it's kind of funny. I just bought a little... Uh, homemade baked banana bread that some kid out of San Antonio stopped me in Schulenburg and sold me for five bucks for some drug house uh, uh, where they're trying to help kids get over drugs, you know. And, oh, right, uh, right, I, right. I, I, just, I, just, I just want them to know that, um, man, it, you can do it by yourself and with the help of the man upstairs or whoever it is you believe in. And uh, yeah. We all yeah. got it. We just, self-discipline is hard to come by. you got to make yourself do stuff. you got to kick your own self and your own behind. 
Yeah, and Richard, you know, the, here, here's something interesting. Even though you're saying that you, we can do it by ourselves, the cool thing is by you coming on the air and sharing your success story, someone else is going to hear you right now. I mean, we have a lot of listeners on the show. Someone else is going to hear it, and because of your success, they may say, you know, I'm going to give it a shot. This hasn't been working for me. And so in actuality, you could help someone else when they couldn't have done it by themselves without hearing your story. Well, this is why I called in to say that. I don't yep. like sitting on the phone and all that. But anyway, that's why I called in to say that. It's perfect. I'm an easy guy to find, man. I'm out there. Uh, like I said, I've been a businessman through all these years and everything. It's just, it's just obstacles. And the man upstairs, I look at my life, he's put obstacles in my life always. But I just always overcame them. I never quit. I never gave up. It's like a barroom fight. You know, the guy might be kicking your behind, knocking your teeth out. But if you don't give up, you'll eventually get back on top. So you just can't quit. That's all there is to it. <laughs> Richard, thank you. Thank you, dude. Okay, bye-bye. <laughs> I love it. Yes, and there's there's plenty of people out there that are ready to help you, too, if you're someone struggling with any addiction. Of course, we do that, and we've done it for over 20 years now. Uh, reach out for help as well. Coming up right now, uh, James Smitty Smith, he's a boxing guru. He's had his own nationally syndicated television show in this corner for years now. The guy has been interviewing, rubbing shoulders with everyone from Muhammad Ali to uh, Mike Tyson to Pacquiao, you name it. He knows them, and we're going to talk to him right now about what those traits are that these great boxers have that we might want to integrate in our life. And it could be something like Richard from Texas just calling and saying discipline. You know, what are the great traits that these amazing boxers have that Smitty has spoken to personally, interviewed personally, that we need to integrate in our life to be more successful? Smitty, welcome to the show. Man, Richard's got me all fired up, man. I mean, I, I'm, I, don't, I don't know what I'm going to quit. I'm, I'm, I'm still going to drink <laughs> my wine tonight, but Richard's got me ready to go, baby. <laughs> hey, hey! Now, now I know that you have actually you you've been around Muhammad Ali years ago in Miami, isn't that correct? Yeah, I'll never forget the first time I I met Ali. It's sort of a a magical moment, and uh, above my fireplace, I have a a great picture of him with this gleam in his eye. You know, looking at me for some reason, he was always fascinated by by me. But uh, the day I met him, I camped outside the the Fifth Street gym and sat on a corner and waited and waited and finally I looked to my right and I saw two uh big guys coming towards me and then as as they got closer I realized one of them was Muhammad Ali and uh he looked down at me and I had this jacket that I my mother much to my mother's dismay I I wrote on it Muhammad Cassius Clay Ali in red ink and he he looked at that and he put his arm around me and we walked up the rickety stairs of the Fifth Street gym and I stopped because there was a rope where nobody could go, and he said, no, man, come come with me, man. You're my main man. And basically, wow. from that moment on, I, I knew Ali. It was pretty fascinating. <laughs> That's really cool. How long have you been, because you, you, you've, you've done radio, television, how long have you been in the media side of boxing, Smitty? You know, I, I guess it would really start, David, when I was a little boy growing up in, in Miami, and, and Paul Warfield, the great uh, Hall of Fame wide receiver, would have me on his radio and television show because I was sort of a, at that time, an encyclopedia on all sports, and, and he was always fascinated by my relationship with Ali. So it kind of started then, went to college, played some ball, you know, majored in journalism, 
tried my hand at boxing professionally when I when I got hit. I didn't like getting hit in my face, so that was my segue <laughs> my segue completely out of the ring behind the broadcast booth. But I'm so happy I did have you know, that 10-fight professional career, because now I'm blessed to where I not only interview the greatest fighters in the world, but on my show I actually get in the ring with them and they demonstrate the skills that have made them a champion. I, and I am proud to say that I've been in the ring now with over 45 world champions, in some cases legends, and I've never been defeated. I haven't beaten any of them, but I've never been defeated. <laughs> you know, and, and I'm going to remind or, or actually share with our listeners right now, if you want to see uh, James Smitty Smith actually in the ring with during some of these interviews, go to his website, inthiscornertv.com, inthiscornertv.com. Backing up for a second, because I want to get on some of these, the traits that our listeners can learn from Smitty. If you think of one trait that Muhammad Ali, that you saw in his, his boxing life, his personal life that we all should and could emulate more to become more successful what would one trait of Ali be that you you really respect extreme self-confidence and I don't mean braggadocio and all the stuff that some people got caught up with when Ali was kidding he he extremely believed in himself you know a lot of people do things because other people say they can't or whatever but the great fighter before he defeats his opponent he wins over himself, and, and that, would I would say, would be the thing with Ali. I would even watch him talking to himself in the mirror and looking at himself. He, he went, before he went into battle, his first battle was winning over himself, and he did that probably better than anybody. He had extreme self-confidence. Hmm, I love that. I love that. Now, now let's jump up into to today's fighter, Pacquiao. What what is what what's the one major trait that you see in Pacquiao that we all should and could emulate more to become more successful in our lives? You know, with Manny, Manny's a guy that really does fight for not only himself but but his his country, the the Philippines, and you know he he is a guy that what an amazing story, a guy that you know ran away as a little kid and was selling anything he could in the street to try to make some money for his family, you know, had to hide that he was boxing. He didn't want his mom to know. And now fast forward all these years later, and he can't even walk through the streets of the Philippines because he's the most, you know, famous athlete there. Uh, But also with Manny and and the other, you know, the best two fighters of today, Floyd Mayweather and Manny Pacquiao, uh, they are workout-aholics. And you mentioned a thing with pain. I don't think I've ever been to a, a Manny Pacquiao or a Floyd Mayweather training session where they're not in pain. They are in pain every single day that they prepare to go inside the squared circle. And, and remember, when you think of uh, athletes, David, and I've interviewed all the great athletes from other sports, but there's nothing like a prize fighter. And, and for the audience out there, most of your audience, you have a tremendous audience, very few of your audience have ever been in, an, in a physical altercation, ever. I mean, they don't right, even, sure. People don't even like verbal altercations. But imagine to every day of your life pretty much you go to the gym and you 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 beat the heck out of somebody or you get beat up and you that's what you do for a living you go in there to 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 beat somebody up or to get it's it's not it's not an easy profession yeah (laughs) it's not normal smitty (laughs) well you know yeah and and i think that's what makes it so fascinating i always call fighters the most common and uncommon of all athletes yeah 
Yeah, exactly. Smitty, hang right there. We're going to go to some important messages. We're coming back with James Smitty Smith. I love this guy. I've known Smitty from, for a, let me just say, for a very, very long time. He is one of the top professional announcers you'll ever hear when you see him on TV, you hear him on the radio. The guy's distinctive. He's prepared. He's an amazing professional. Not only that, he knows his stuff, and he's interviewed, as he's sharing with us today on our show, the top names in all of sports. And as a matter of fact, you know, I think we're going to do when we come back with Smitty, we're going to talk about Mercury Morris. Smitty knew Mercury Morris, the great dolphin, when he was in prison. And we'll find out for Smitty what the number one trait with Mercury Morris. And since he mentioned Paul Warfield, let's go with another, another football player. We'll find out from Smitty what the traits are that these great athletes have that we can utilize in our own life today, gang, to be more successful because that's what David Esso Live is all about. Broadcasting live out of Studio E in Los Angeles, California, every Saturday, 6 to 9 Eastern, 3 to 6 Pacific, 1-800-548-TALK. I'm David Essel. Stay right there. Helping you every Saturday from 6 to 9 Eastern, 3 to 6 Pacific to become more alive in every area of your life. You're tuned in to David Essel Live, 1-800-548-TALK. My guest is uh, boxing guru and uh, nationally syndicated television host of the show In This Corner, James Smitty Smith. And before the break, we were talking about a couple of uh, many of the top boxing celebrities that he's interviewed uh, and what their traits were that we could learn from. And we talked about uh, Muhammad Ali and Smitty was sharing with us his unbelievable self-confidence. Manny Pacquiao, um, his ability to walk through pain every day to accomplish his goal. And those are two major traits, Smitty. Isn't it true that every American listening to the show right now could benefit from to become more successful with their business or their relationships or whatever? Yeah, you know, and, and uh, in fact, uh, I, I think with the, with the politics today, I actually would like to see the, the you know, the, the, the two guys, our president and the guy, and, and the guy on the other <laughs> side, get into a ring and fight it out. I would probably vote for the winner. Whoever prevailed <laughs> in that match between, you know, Romney and Obama, I would, go, I would just go out and vote for the winner just because of, of, of what it takes to, you know, to get inside the squared circle and go at it. But one thing too, David, with with the greatest of all fighters, you know what you know what's what it is. They they'll say what is it that makes, you know, the greats the legends, and it's actually what you don't see, and it truly is, and it, it's the heart when you have to suck it up. If you've been knocked down, you're fighting with a broken jaw, you're bleeding from both eyes, you, you know, and you're try you got to summon up the will to to go the last you know three rounds, those championship rounds, and it when really what makes the great fighters are the qualities that you can't see fighting through the pain, thinking in the, in the eye of the storm, and I really mean in the eye of the storm in a championship fight, and also the heart to when, when everything hurts, uh, y- you somehow you know, go forward. I just did 15 rounds in the gym 
you know, shadow boxing, and, and it was tough going against my own shadow. So it's, it's very, <laughs> it's very difficult. And I and I would encourage anybody out there to it to at least go that, that works out, does aerobics, lifts weights. Try to go to a boxing gym and hit a hit a heavy bag for three rounds. Just try it. Right. right. And what, you know, Smitty, what you're saying, ladies and gentlemen, what Smitty is just saying, too, about, you know, the boxer having to, to, to gut it out, to tough it out. When we think about in the middle of a bankruptcy or a divorce, in the middle of an addiction, in the middle of, a, of losing a home, a foreclosure, losing your car, this is what he's talking about. And this is the analogy, the reason, one of the many reasons I wanted to have Smitty on the show today is the analogy that these great warriors, we have that same capability when we're going through our challenges, our brawls our battles in life to be able to rise above and do what we do not even know we can do because isn't it true smitty and these guys that you've interviewed these champions said there's got to be a part of them that said you know i can't believe i came back from that yeah i mean when ali fought frazier smoking joe frazier the last time you know he said after, immediately after that fight and he said to me years later and on other interviews that it was the closest thing to death he actually thought he was going to die and i had the the great privilege and honor of, uh, of doing what became, unfortunately, the final interview with Smoking Joe Frazier. Before I left for the, the Boxing Hall of Fame last year, Joe was in town, and I ran over and did a, an entire show with him. And he, after that, subsequently, would, we found out he had the cancer and he died. It turned out to be the last. But he, he said the same thing to me. It's like, you know, and, and, and even though those two had problems outside the ring, uh, I actually had him, he actually said some kind things. He said, you just can't, you can't fight all the rounds we did against each other, you know, and, and not have a, just a tremendous respect, you know, right. for that other, other human being. And he, Joe said the same thing, that fighting Ali was like, like death. <laughs> right, right. Smitty, we've got a minute and a half left. Mercury Morris uh, was, was a friend of yours, and you actually talked to him when he was in jail. What's the trait from the football great, the Miami Dolphin great, Mercury Morris, what's the major trait that you remember from him that we could benefit from learning about? And, you know, it was all those guys, David, of that 72 Dolphin team, which still, by the way, was the only team in the history of the National Football League to go unbeaten. And I was lucky enough to be a ball boy for that, for that team. It was really going above and beyond the, the call of duty. You know, with Merck, Merck was a guy who was overly prepared, if, you can, if there is such a thing, and you should be just the same thing in life. You don't, you don't just spend a couple of hours prepping. You prep all week for your radio show and the, the other things you do. You know, Merck was there before practice, after, after practice, that entire team was. Interesting, when he was on my show from jail, he wasn't crying about what had happened to him. He was arrested for trafficking cocaine. He would later be pardoned for that. But he was actually trying to help others while he was on the, the, right. radio, on the radio interview with me. Mm, mm. Powerful, powerful. Smitty, how have you changed? Now we got 30 seconds. How have you changed yourself personally, professionally, from being involved in surrounding yourself with all these amazing individuals? I, I, you know, I just I, I have a tremendous respect for for what they do. It also humbles me to know what I can't what I can't necessarily do, but I but I can share with them. I think it's just a tremendous respect. And and I got to say, uh, I always had confidence, David, but uh, I'm a little more confident but also a lot more humble these days, if that's possible. <laughs> <laughs> Wait a minute. I didn't know that you even spoke that word that began with began with the letter H. Yeah, you know, I, I've, I've really become humble. When you get inside the ring with Mike Tyson and he's throwing punches, 
you know, uh, right at your face, and he actually knocked the little dog on bridge in my mouth that I had. Yeah, you get humble real quick with Mike Tyson. <laughs> Trust me, David. Trust me. <laughs> hey, if you want more information, I encourage you to visit Smitty's uh, website, inthiscornertv.com. Watch him in action, clips of him on his show, and then you can find out how you can actually watch his show around the United States of America. Even if you're not a boxing fan, you will learn about life by tuning in to the show in this corner. Smitty, always great to have you back. You are an inspiration to me, my man, and I'll look forward to doing it again. Yeah, you were one of the last people I saw when I left Southwest Florida with just a hope and a dream and, a, and an idea and a plan to do a syndicated uh, television show on boxing. And here we are today. You're doing your thing. I'm doing my thing. And I'm glad we can share some time together, David. Always great, man. Yeah, same here. All right, Smitty, talk to you soon. Thanks, bud. Bye-bye. Our toll-free number, 1-800-548-TALK. Coming up next, childhood obesity. Larissa Didio is going to be on the author talking about the causes, the solutions, and more. Hey, if you want to email us during the show, talkdavid.com. Like us on Facebook, David Essel Alive. Be strong. Be powerful. Be positive. I'm David Essel. Stay right there.